Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Welcome back, friends. I hope you've had a marvelous week. The year is already seemingly to fly by, which is the case, I guess, every single year. All the things as you get older, the time just flies by quicker. It's unreal. Anyway, I am so delighted for my guest today. Dominique Greco um, is a longtime woman around town in Orlando and was the nighttime um, economic uh, manager or the nighttime mayor, if you will, um, for the the crazy scene that we have downtown. And so she started a position that had never been in Orlando before, but actually has not really, I don't think much been in the United States, which is pretty cool. So she kind of forged her own, her own way and helping to look out for the business owner's interest and what is the best for the city and safety and all the things. So I'm sure that you're going to enjoy, uh, she has a quite a fascinating story. Most of it I did not know, including living in New York city on her own for her junior and senior year, which is just a feat in and of itself. I made up a cocktail this, this, um, this day and it is definitely made up and I was, you know, I just like to, I guess, play around with things, but we kind of named it time will tell because it does have time in it. Spoiler alert. Um, it is, uh, an ounce and a half of my favorite gin monkey 47. So I did this in a, like a tall Collins glass. You could do it in whatever, but this has got a good amount of ingredients, so I wanted enough room for a lot of ice and a lot of tonic. So, uh, ounce and a half of Monkey 47 gin, and then I did um, a half an ounce of lime juice, a half an ounce of thyme simple syrup, a half an ounce of um, Luxardo's apricot liqueur, which I think pumped it up. I really enjoyed it. There's only a very slight amount that you can taste of the apricot, but it's really enjoyable. And so I did that in a Collins glass full of ice, stirred that up, and then um, poured over some tonic water. And I garnished it with a Curious Botanicals dried, dehydrated mango slice. So it was very fruity, very fresh, very light. Delicious. Time, time will tell. And hopefully we'll have one maybe at a dinner party soon. So I hope you enjoy this drink. I hope you enjoy this guest. And ciao. Hello. Good morning. Tom. Good morning. We are doing some very early day drinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, on a Wednesday. And on a Wednesday morning. Well, cheers to you, to cheers us. Cheers to us. Thank you Ooh. for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for the gin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of too good. It's kind of dangerous. Like I wanted to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I really do. Mm. So being a Wednesday morning, I kind of just threw this together and was hoping for the best. And I think thankfully it is 
very drinkable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the podcast too. And I was like, well, it's kind of my oh, style. So perfect. Same here. <laughs> yep. Same here. We're going to make it work on a Wednesday morning, but it's monkey 47 gin, which is my favorite gin as we all know. Um, and then I did some lime juice, a thyme simple syrup that I made apricot liqueur. It's very, very floral and I love it. And fruity and fresh and light. And that's what we need to be drinking on a Wednesday morning. At 10 a.m. Yes, exactly. It's what you need on a Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Yeah. So if we're not asleep by the end of this podcast, we'll, it will be a success. Yeah. <laughs> but time will tell. Time. Oh, that's what we can call this mm. podcast. Time will tell. Time Dumb. will tell. Boom. Coming to a dinner party project near you. You should do a book. I should do a book. Like a, maybe a cocktail, like a dinner party project cocktail inspired mm. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Dinner party project inspired recipe ish book. Yeah. I have thought about maybe something along those lines. That'd be fun. Also time will tell. Time will tell. About that. <laughs> Ooh, I bet you have so many beautiful photos of so many dinners over the years. I do. I'm so thankful. We've done over 550 dinner parties all the way from two people to 300 people. It's been a crazy ride. Um, yeah. The Orlando Hospitality Alliance is excited to do something with Dinner Party Project. So maybe, We're here for it. I don't know what it is, but I think we but can think of it. That was the discovery. Yeah. Over drinks. We'll have to discover. 10 a.m. drinks? 10 a.m. drinks. Maybe. <laughs> Another time. <laughs> Another, next Wednesday. <laughs> um, so speaking of cocktails, obviously one of my favorite topics, um, I would love to know if you have any favorite cocktails. Like if you have like any like go-to drink. Yeah, I'm... I'm really a chameleon with like food and drink. So I don't know if I have a go-to, but I know if I'm at, when I'm, when the moment strikes me and you're at the right place, I usually ask the bartender for something super tiki. Yeah. And so I mm-hmm. love a jungle bird. I love a jungle bird. Okay. that I have done that on this podcast and in life. Gosh. But you know, it's hard to say it's like your go-to because you can't get it really everywhere because... They don't always make them great everywhere. Uh-uh. I will tell you that. And a, a bat or a not so good one is it's really just bad. not so good. It's yep. not really like pizza or sex, you know, where if it's bad, it's bad, still, it's pretty, still good. pretty good. <laughs> no. A jungle bird is... needs to be executed really well. Yeah. And balanced. Yeah. So you get that bitter only at the end and not like all the way. Yeah, your first. Sip. It needs to be like some sweetness. You but Hanson Shoe Repair, man, I've been getting Jungle Birds there since I'm a <laughs> fresh little baby. Yes, <laughs> that's my favorite place. So, Renee, um, I think you probably know Renee. I abs- yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. I should have him on the podcast. He would hate slash love it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I will make him somehow. Oh, you can have Jungle Birds. We can have Jungle Birds. I I wonder if mine would like hold up well enough to his Ooh. version of it. I don't think like when I've I've been there obviously many many times, but I guess I don't think I've ordered a jungle bird there. But maybe I will go and have one. We could absolutely do a dinner party project on the roof. I think it would be the right size for a dinner party of eight. It'd be perfect. It'd be wonderful. Sold. Sold. We just got to do it before it Come, gets hot. Coming in hot, Renee. All right. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you about a couple of places uh, around town. You are really the queen of nightlife in that in that way. But, like, where would be a couple of places that you would go to grab a drink? Um, 
again, sky's the limit, right? Like we're not short on options. So, mm-hmm. but I love, um, I love a Kuaku and Stardust. What's a Kuaku? Is that that tiki bar that's by Lake Eola? Uh, yep, by Lake by Lake Eola, right? Yeah. By World of Beer. I have been there. Yes, Todd Olmer's place, and um, love going there. Um, obviously, you know I'm a downtown downtowner in a, in a lot of ways. So, courtesy Robinson. Mm. I love the courtesy Hansons for sure. They make some beautiful drinks. Mathers. Um, guest house though i've been frequenting guest house it seems i mean frequently is frequenting is kind of a big word so okay. i feel like everything's been for me at least somewhat infrequent um you know just covid and coming off of covid you know socializing not socializing socializing again making up for lost time but um but yeah and i and reyes has yes. great cocktails and so does all of good salts restaurants amen I am I am sadly not inclined to tequila and mezcal, mm-hmm. especially not mezcal. Um, too smoky. Too smoky. And just, I think tequila, the farthest I go is like a Paloma. Um, but we just kind of don't get along. It just doesn't make my body feel. You know, like there's yeah. just some spirits that like you naturally gravitate towards. But I, I always... I'm glad that there's so many people that love that niche, you know, that mezcal world. And so like that is obviously the place to go. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is one of those like things that or I, I feel like I noticed, you know, trend, right? Like probably 10 years ago, it was like mezcal galore and making its way. And now it's like a little more mainstream, which is, you know, great for mezcal. Sure. <laughs> but no, I'm not a mezcal drinker either, but Paloma. Yeah. Palomas are are good. Yeah. Are nice. I really enjoy red wine, but talk about like it doesn't agree with me, like you're mm-hmm. saying with you with tequila. So it's like really? I'll wanna order something, but then I'm like, oh am I gonna how am I gonna feel in an hour, you know? Fair enough. Which I know I'm I must be drinking the wrong red wine and there's some I need to figure mm. out the solution, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know what that is right now. Have you been so to So I go- just drink gin and <laughs> on Wednesday morning, so that's all. <laughs> That's my uh, daily, my weekly breakfast, <laughs> gin and gin and juice. Have you been to Golden Hour Wine in Baldwin Park? I have the not. shop have by not. Heather. Yeah, she is amazing. She moved down from upstate New York, and she had several bars and restaurants in upstate New York, and then she moved down here. And she has almost like seven hundred bottles in her shop. Wow! Yes, it's wow. incredible. It's a bottle shop, so it's not really a bar, um, but you can open a bottle and drink it there. But if you are interested in wine and like interested in maybe, she does all natural wines. Yes, and so she does worldwide. I mean, we did a French wine tasting there, which was really cool. Ooh. Um, and it's just maybe like if you're looking for maybe things that would agree with your body more. I yeah, feel like she you. also would have some good recommendations. And I love a good bottle shop. You love a good bottle shop. It's also beautiful. It's oh, like, yeah. I want to meet her and see the place. Yes. Absolutely. It's crazy. You know, I even I, like, think, oh, I, you know, I know a lot of places in Orlando. I go, there's a there's a huge chunk of places that yep. I've never been to slash maybe even not heard of, <clears> which is, like, when people talk about it, then I find myself feeling like, I'm supposed to know that, right? Like I'm, I'm, that's my, that's my jam. That's my, that's my gig, mm-hmm. but there's a lot. There's, there's a lot, lot. So to continually discover. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're so, so thankful for that. 
Absolutely. Definitely. I had a meeting yesterday morning um, and with somebody, and they said, well, Orlando's not really a foodie city. What? And I said, oh, I will have to disagree with you. I will have to disagree also. I will have to disagree. Like, yeah, we have... I mean, we're still a little bit on the best kept secret of foodie cities, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why they have that sentiment. But I think we're more of a foodie city than even Miami, for sure, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're no L.A. or Chicago or New York. Obviously, we're not trying to be that. and We'll never be that. And we don't have the quantity. Mm -hmm. But I think several of our offerings are at that level of those cities. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have as many of them, but we have really solid gems hundred percent that I say would go toe to toe. Like find me a better ramen, the Domu. Like I've been to New York, I've been, I eat whatever, but like that still to me is like the top ramen I've ever had. Domu is always on the top of my list. I mean, always. And I'm not, and also like, you know, no favoritism, right? I'm like very, try really hard not to go that way, but but for being honest, Domu is my place. And I'll say my one of my best friends who is a New Yorker, when when she comes, like, we'll literally I'll be picking her up from the airport and she's like, can we go to Kabuki? Right. Oh. Right this second. Uh-huh. And like, she's very insistent. Like, mm. no, there's no, we're not allowed to be here without going to Kabuki. Fair enough. Yeah. They're, they have such an excellent offering. Yeah. And deliciousness. And you know what you're going to get, which is... An amazing experience and delicious sushi. Yeah. Now I'm hungry for oh. <laughs> 10 a.m. sushi <laughs> <today>. and gin. <laughs> we have very diverse uh, uh, palettes here. We um, that's amazing. Um, are you at all a home bartender? I am. Were you ever not a bartender? Oh, oh. Well, I've been a bartender. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In, in college and um, coming up in hospitality, I've been everything. I worked. My very first job was at Panera, so I was in the bakery. <laughs> Like in high school, you know, like leaving class Oof. to like go, go to work and doing your, whatever it was called. Like after school. Like your, yeah. Like not DCT, before school. OJT, like on the job training type program like okay. in high school. And yeah, going to Panera and at like 15. Okay. And, um, and then when I moved to Orlando when I was 18 to go to UCF, <clears throat> I actually started out in nonprofit and I worked for the destiny foundation of central Florida, which okay. is now, um, different, different owners and, and mission now, but it's United against poverty over on Michigan UP. Okay. Yes. But simultaneously still always, <clears throat> always typically had a service job, um, waitressing or bartending or cocktail waitressing. And then do you have a drink at home that you, do you make things at home or I don't really drink at home <clears throat> at home. I'm like eat vegan, super clean, like extremely. And I don't have keep alcohol at my house. And it's just, oh. it just works for me because like my life and my lifestyle and my work will bring me to lots of food and alcohol as is. So I just kind of keep home as a clean fruit space. and vegetables. Ah, and, yeah. Okay. And I really enjoy it. So I really only cook like <clears throat> vegan and, um, but it, it's kind of weird, right? Cause like when I'm out and I want to have domo chicken wings, like I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> so it's, for me, it's a balancing act, I guess you could say. Yeah. So you're getting the clean eating at home. And then when you go out, you eat as you please. I eat what 
I think is going to be there the best thing that that place has to offer. Right. Cause that's really why I'm going is to right. get the experience and the experiences, the people there and their claim to fame, you know, dishes or cocktails. So I wouldn't want to miss that even though, yeah, I wish I could diet, you know, 24 seven or whatever, but roll. Yeah, I'm, I'm your- rolling my eyes. No one can see, but right. <laughs> yeah. Live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good plan. Good balanced plan. Decent. It's decent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So one thing that I love the most is people's stories. And I kind of feel like I believe that we don't really get a choice as to where we're put down into this universe. Here we are. And then just like everyone else, we're all trying to figure it out. Um, So I would love to know. I mean, I've known you kind of for a couple of years, but I would love to know what was the early years of Dom's life like? Where did you grow up? What was your family like? What was like year one through five? Like, did you have siblings? What was, what was that feel? Oh, um, okay. Well, I was born in New York, um, upstate actually in Orange County. Okay. Newburgh, New York. Newburgh? Yeah. Okay. I only say that because I know you're from New York. My mother is from Long Island. Okay. Yes. Where, wait, where are you from? So I grew up in Virginia near Washington, D.C., and then we would go to Long Island okay. to visit my grandparents. Okay. Yes. So not from New York, sorry. Not from New York. So I was born up there, um, but when I was a baby, my parents moved down to Florida into like the Tampa Bay area, and I grew up um, mostly in in the Tampa Bay area, and I went to high school in Newport Ritchie, Florida, uh, similar to your last guest, Mr. Jim yes. Hobart. Yes. <laughs> um, so I... <clears throat> I have two little brothers. They're seven and nine years younger than me. Okay. And they are my, technically my half brothers, right? My, from my stepdad. So my stepdad and my mom pretty uh, raised us three. Um, but I left home when I was 15 and my brothers followed suit in a way, um, since I'm very young too. So we've, we, the three of us kind of grew each other, ourselves up together. And we kind of always say, you know, it's us against the world. And that was definitely the mentality when we were younger. And now, and now we're all grown up. Holly and Joey are 24 and 25 and Joey, my little brother is about to graduate from milt from the Marines boot camp. So I'm going to San Diego Oof. in two weeks to see him. Woo! And then my other brother, Paul, is 25, and he just actually got back to Orlando from a couple of years working out in Southern Oregon in the canna industry with, with Joey. So they were okay. both together. And um, Are they 24 and 25, you said? Yeah. So they're old. Yeah, but they're very close in age. They're very close in age, yeah. Right. They're like 19 months apart. Whew. Yep. Yeah. And you know, that's so funny that you mentioned that because my brother's been, my brother Paul's been home for about a week and he's um, staying with me for a few months while he, you know, um, gets his place together and et cetera. And I have this like funny memory from being in Portland, um, probably like five, six years ago now. And it was April 20th. I know because we were at like a 420 uh-huh. fest in yeah. Portland and there was a psychic there and you know, everyone's like taking turns, like little mini readings with her. And I sit down at some point, she just like sits back in her chair and she's like, whoa, you have a lot of masculine energy. And I was like, I didn't really know like what to say, say, but then she's like, she immediately followed and she's like, you have like two 
male energies like around like around you all the time like following you in your life so I of course thought Uh, okay my brothers which uh was really just cool you know whatever um to hear that but now these like two male energies really appear like in my life all the time like several of my best friends have two sons my Mm. I have two boy dogs and like it's it's just constantly me finding myself like with two great men and like how weird and lucky and like just strange is that even for me to say, but also for it to be true. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Sorry. Like who, no, it's all good. Who was, who, who were you kind of in like middle school, high school? Like what was your personality? Yeah. Developing into like, um, that's such a cool question. And, Okay. So I had like a really weird home life, which we'll kind of skip a little bit over, but, um, but I was, I just remember if I look back and like, think, I just remember being really, really brave and like never being scared of stuff. So I always just did everything I wanted. I was like really independent. I've been financially independent since I'm literally 16. Yeah. Like completely. How did you move out at 15? I was emancipated. <clears throat> Holy yeah shit. yeah um what? and I worked and I worked and Whoa. I live cheap and like I kind of even say now like I've been so poor so much of my life that everything else feels like I'm just rich you know <laughs> like anything Cherry about tap. not being yeah. not being super poor and like just eating ramen and coffee mm-hmm. um which used to be my diet when I lived in New York City for sure <laughs> just coffee all day and then anyways it's, so um I don't make it seem like I had it like so rough. I just, it was just a unique compared, you know, to your friends and people you grow up with. It was definitely atypical mm-hmm. um, just to be kind of always on my own, even when I, even younger than that, like just not a lot of supervision, not, and just a ton of freedom, but mm-hmm. I was like such a good kid. Mm-hmm. So middle school, high school, very good kid, like not like straight A student by any means, but very much friends with all my teachers prom committee head you know okay I was friends with all different groups and I always knew that about myself because you have like you know in high school very much like groups of friends right like cliques if you will and you wanted to be and yeah have your toe in all of them yeah your finger in all of them but yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, yes I wanted to have my toe in, (laughs) in all of them no um and I always like felt like I was a little bit of a peacemaker between just, or whatever, just Mm. connector, if you will, which is definitely the person that I still am. And that's, um, that is, I would say that's my, that's my thing. That's my brand. So I was, I like to get people together and always have a, always find a special occasion or a special event to do something for and celebrate, you know, even though I had like this weird, um, home life, I was still hosting like parties and at my friend's parents' houses or getting, you know, limos together for prom. So we could all do this and that. And then that really, um, that's, I think what got me into, well, that personality trait is really what brought me to like UCF Rosen when mm-hmm. I did decide to declare my major, which is um, event management, hospitality management. And it was the perfect fit. And it wasn't really what I was going for when I was graduating high school. I wanted to be a pilot and I got into Embry-Riddle, but it was like the recession. What? Yeah. That's it, super cool. Yep. And hopefully... We need more female pilots. Well, at the time, 
and you know who knows right but at the time we were we were in the recession and they Mm. were the airlines were doing terrible so if everyone was getting fired there was no young pilots coming up because well there was but there weren't weren't hiring jobs right so i just remember being that age and thinking okay i could go like a hundred grand in the hole right now to go to Mm embry-riddle which is every bit of what it would have cost right or dead or and i need to work either way so always i always had to work Mm. so i got into ucf as well and um I made the decision and it was, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made, mm-hmm. I think for sure. Cause it brought you to Orlando, Florida. It did. Yes. Welcome. And Orlando is, is, um, I think New York city and Orlando are home for me. And I've been a lot, I've lived a lot of places and I've traveled a good amount of places, but, uh, I always come back to one of those two, it seems like, and it, mm. it feels like I always will. Although I will be honest, like, you know, I think about that's it. I'm moving to Amsterdam tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> Toodles. Or whatever. Norway. Uh-huh. Iceland. A Nordic country. Just to see. Where the, the tall, hype. blonde, beautiful people live. The tall, blonde, beautiful people. Uh-huh. Yes. Climb yeah. Up. Their genetic code is a little unfair. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're honest. But yeah, just, we we work with what we're given. How does it feel? Yeah, tall, nor- <laughs> tall. So blonde. from okay. So can I ask you just one question? So when you were sixteen, were you living by yourself? When I was sixteen, I moved to New York City and I lived a few places in a pretty short time. I was kind of bouncing around, but yes, I rented a room from you know this woman, this girl. Um, you were still in high school, mm-hmm. and, and I, you went to high school in New York. Yeah. And I took the one took the one train from the Bronx to my high school to Columbus Circle. And so I was like a West Side Manhattan girl for sure. sure. I lived in the Upper West Side for a hot minute. And being so close to the park is like the biggest luxury I think you can have. Like when you live in New York, right? Not everybody gets to live near Central Park. And it was only a few months. I was like staying with a friend of a friend, you know, situation. Um, and... Then I moved to the Bronx and I, and I stayed at my high school, which was a public high school. I had gotten into a private high school when these, all this thing, all these things were coming to fruition, but I couldn't get the scholarship money together to actually take my enrollment offer, Mm. which kind of sucks because it, well, I don't know if it sucks, but it, it was like a, a felt like it sucked at the time because I went through a lot of work and effort by myself completely. And that's probably why I got accepted because they, probably saw, saw like the, the stamina yeah yeah but i got accepted to riverdale academy mm-hmm. which is like a basically a prep school um sounds like a, a show like a cw show yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i remember being there for an interview once like an in-person interview like leading up to this time and um it was very clear that i was not like the core demographic of the students that went there because it's a very expensive it's super expensive place to go and i remember i don't know who i was with maybe admissions you know dean or something like that and he kind of like leaned in and he's like he wasn't being rude i remember but he basically alluded to like hey most of the kids here like drive ferraris to like come here just like so we're so you know and i'm like yeah, yeah i yeah i picked up on that when i got here thank you um but anyways, it didn't pan out, and I went to public school in New York City. Um, can't remember the PS one. I don't remember, but it was called High School for Environmental Studies, and it was in Hell's Kitchen, and it was like going from a suburban high school in Pasco County, Florida, to an inner city New York City public mm-hmm. high school. 
it might as well have been moving across countries like the, the curriculum mm-hmm. and your credits didn't even translate at all like at all I had to like I missed I was you know according to the to New York I was like missing credits but then I had all these other credits that they didn't know what to do with because we just take classes differently and test standardized testing is different it was like nineteen. but I still I mean I graduated high school on time and with honors and that and I was fine okay and I worked I always worked you always, always worked. I'm always working. It's okay. I like working. We'll get to yeah. that. <laughs> or that's what I tell myself. So you finished, was it kind of like your junior and senior year in New York mm-hmm. by yourself? Mm-hmm. That's like wild. Like, I don't understand like the drive to, I mean, that's pretty incredible to have like the wherewithal to know how to like manage all the things like starting at 16. I didn't know shit, but I just did it. And uh-huh. that kind of worked for me. And like I said, when I look back, like I don't remember like being scared or worried all the time. Cause maybe just cause I was naive. So it was kind of a blessing. Uh-huh. So I didn't know, but now, and I wouldn't say I'm like a f- person that's full of fear, but I definitely f- noticed that I have a lot more fear now as an adult than mm. I did at that at age. At that age. Right. You're just like, I, ha- I had something I have to make this work and so you just like throw yourself into it and like yeah it's gonna work or it's not gonna work and then I'll have to figure it out yeah right and I always had people cheering me on and even now that is my driver for so much and it's it's how I learn it's how I work it's how I it's how I enjoy my life like is through these just beautiful people that I have in my life and like mm. it's seemingly an endless list, which is just, wow. Like so, so fortunate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, yeah. I, could, I could cry right now, right. I won't, but um. <laughs> there's still time. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I definitely feel like Orlando is a, um, from my experience, incredibly supportive. Um, and even just doing what I do, like, I feel like it would be like a drop in the bucket in a New York or a Chicago or a LA or, um, and then starting something here with so many people have been like incredibly supportive. I think people want like interesting things and they want amazing culture and they want to, there's just been a lot of wonderful humans that have been very supportive and yeah. I've seen other people supporting other people. And I'm like, so grateful for this community. Seriously. In that way. For but sure. You got to put in the hard work obviously to do it and take the risk to put yourself out there. Yeah. The risk. Yep. Yep. It's crazy. It's easier to do when you have that support system, whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. to just to have the, that first step, right? Like to get you to kind of give you that nudge or that. And I'm very much a person that needs a lot of nudging. So that's something I really lean on my friends for. Mm. And they kind of, I mean, most of them pretty much know now. So it's like, it's like clockwork. (laughs) So what brought you, so you came back for UCF Mm -hmm. after you graduated. So you had lived in New York for a couple of years and then came back to central Florida for the first time. For the first time. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you went from Tampa. Um, Tampa area up to New York and then to UCF at 18. Mm-hmm. And then kind of how did that lead you into the nightlife world that you were in for kind of a while? So my then boyfriend and slash ex-husband um, started working for V Group downtown Orlando as 
I don't even remember, maybe a bar back, you know, we were, I was 18, he was 19 and we were working cause that's what we did. We worked and I went to school and he, he went to school more like part-time. I went to school more full-time and he started working for Jeff Gito, who's in so and many. He was also at UCF. He was at Valencia. At Valencia. Okay. And, um, he started working for this man who he met, you know, while looking for jobs, Jeff Gito, who owned a few bars and nightclubs, um, at the time and also owned this place. You might remember it plaza market and spirits like before we had 7-elevens downtown we had one convenience store on orange ave okay um so i remember anyway. that name but yeah. i don't know that i remember the exact look like location right on orange like in between pine and church okay so it was just and like i said 7-elevens haven't hadn't been downtown yet in at the time so it really was like your 7-eleven it's right. where you got scratch offs or or you know beer cigarettes bag of chips chips yeah right um so rob met jeff and proceeded to stay with that company for a very long time many years like six seven eight years i can't remember and when and i worked for a nonprofit because i did americorps when i was um when i first started college i did americorps vista program so i did a year of service in the states and worked you know quote unquote with like under the poverty level, because that was the, that was the deal with AmeriCorps. You would make the money, you would make like very little money. Mm -hmm. And then when you got done with your year of service, you would get a decent size, like, um, educational stipend to put towards college and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, so I did that. I completed my year and I'm an AmeriCorps Vista graduate or alum, whatever. And when I was looking for my next job after this, I'm on Craigslist, you know, this is like 2008 Mm -hmm. and I'm looking for whatever. And I stumbled across this like ad that was said like event, marketing, nightlife, hospitality, et cetera. And I emailed them, which I emailed, I'm sure, you know, 50 people probably that day or whatever. And yeah. (laughs) And end up getting an interview. And like, so fast forward a week later, I'm walking to this interview and I'm walking into where my boyfriend at the time works. And I know the place because he works there. Right. So I already knew Jeff, but I just didn't equate it until I was like, Uh, it was that day. So I interview with Jeff. I ultimately get hired and that's, I was 19 and I have pretty much been with Jeff on and off since that time, including today, including a year, a year ago, five years ago. So he is a big part of my life and the family that he's, you know, put in that he, the family ideology that he's brought into my life and my brothers and our family, our work family, et cetera. So, um, thanks, super thankful for Jeff and that's how I got into nightlife specifically. So I started working for V Group and I kind of was just a utility. I was an intern first and then I became like this utility. And then as years go on, you know, you realize when you work for entrepreneurs, that titles are not really a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you just, just what hats do you wear? And true to form, we were always all doing a lot and sharing duties and then you get that redundancy which is like kind of problematic because you're like wait I'm doing this you need to be doing this so um but I was like the the woman that really supported this group of male entrepreneurs partners and owners and so eventually mm. like now if you look on my LinkedIn you know it says chief of staff which I think is very fitting because that's exactly what I was doing you were running 
You're running the show? I was just yelling at all of them all the time. Okay. They liked it. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Is that mostly what you're... What was like the... I mean, you said kind of like you wear a lot of hats, but like a lot of operations, like a lot of like staff management, marketing. Operations a little bit later. At first it was, you know, quote upstairs, right? So yes, digital marketing, um, payroll, you know, Mm. hiring, hiring, firing, Mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of like administrative stuff because, you know, you need to be compliant with your insurance mm-hmm. and your uh, safe serve and that type of thing. And then supporting um, the guys, which not only did we have the hospitality businesses, but we were typically always either opening a new concept slash closing a, a different concept. Mm-hmm. So, so then it transferred a lot to operations. And then I was more hands on with the concepts. And then occasionally for a couple of years there, I did manage the nightclubs, um, not on a regular basis, but I just like, we had exactly the right amount of GMs, you know, per venue. But if one person wanted to take a vacation, it was like, Uh, Oh shit. So I became a, you had a float. I had to float. Right. So I'd be down in the nightclubs, which was really great. I actually, Loved it. Um, I, I loved it because I probably didn't have to do it every single night. So it was like fun when I did. Yeah. And um, always had a great staff that was kept things safe and and really respected me, too. So fun, you know, just wear a little black dress and walk around and make sure everything's OK and try to be cute and hospitable and blah, blah, blah. Right. And got the good music. Which is the music you had playing when we when I walked into your house this morning, which I really appreciate. Oh, you're welcome. Some hip hop at like some real hip hop <laughs> at like nine forty five a.m. before our gin beverage. Oh man, sometimes you need that to like get your life going and your day going in the morning. Some, yeah, like not really. It doesn't sometimes. often <laughs> you start with gin it, as much as it would hip hop <laughs> in the morning. Yes, yeah. but this is an, a, a very a rare uh, occasion and a happy occurrence. So we'll take it. So you had worked in downtown Orlando in the the group that you had uh, with Jeff for mm-hmm. a couple of years, and then how did that translate into a job with the city? Yeah, another good question. Nighttime manager, was it? Nighttime economy manager. Nighttime economy manager. Which uh, at, would kind of go by the 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 name, you know, Nightmare. Um, not really. Or Orlando used it. It's like, you know, a kitschy little title. But it actually was, quote unquote, there was a night mayor that was an elected official in Amsterdam and I believe also in London. So that's really where this nighttime economy management from a local government standpoint movement 
got started was in Europe. And the story goes is that London, in the course of 10 years, lost more than 50% of its like nightlife and live music venues because of just regulation and red tape and a bunch of, you know, illly devised planning tactics and whatever. And so there was like a chronic, oh shit moment in London where it was like, we're losing all this culture and all these legacy businesses and all these small businesses. Like now I have goosebumps. Right. And so some, there had obviously always been advocates, not always, but there had been advocates in hospitality, small business, nightlife, whatever you want to call it. But there was something about the London story that really stemmed the, or stimulated the organizing of this movement. So I'm working for Jeff. It's 2016 and the city of Orlando noticing, you know, having issues, I guess you would say with downtown Orlando post the recession, because now it's Mm -hmm. 2016. And what happened in 07, 08 was, and you'll probably remember, right? Was like downtown was tumbleweeds. There was Mm -hmm. no one downtown. Mm -hmm. There was really no storefront anything retail was completely gone Gone. and we still we still don't have retail Retail. which is another story um but what came in because what's recession proof right gin and tonics yeah (laughs) um exactly so you did see this like kind of spurt if you will of a lot of bars and night and nightlife and when that happened i think maybe the and i i i will say i think maybe right because i wasn't I was only in in it to the extent that I was, which was an operator, a downtowner myself, but I wasn't like a city official or anything like that. Um, but I supported a big group of entrepreneurs who also were friends and um, colleagues with their neighbors and their peers. So the city, I think coming into 2016, it was kind of like, damn, we have this now nightlife district that we didn't even really know we were going to have, we Mm -hmm. didn't plan for it. Right. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happened. And that caused some sticking, sticky spots for downtown in terms of traffic, in terms of cleanliness, in terms of public safety, Mm -hmm. because when you don't plan for it and then all of a sudden you have 30,000 people on any given weekend coming to patronize your, your nightlife district or Mm -hmm. your quote downtown entertainment area, which is what it is then you have other things you need to consider from a, from a public works and a public safety standpoint. Yeah. So the city, not just pouring drinks, not just pouring drinks. There's all the before and afters. Right. And, um, so the city realized that they had this kind of thing on their hands that they needed some help with. So they reached out to the responsible hospitality Institute, which is a OG, um, advocate and research and consultancy group that studies nighttime economy and et cetera. So they brought this consultancy group in and did probably like a year long study and engaged hundreds of stakeholders in downtown, not only from hospitality from, but from professional, you know, tower, tower based businesses, as we say, um, city officials, residents, all the nonprofits mm-hmm. in the area, um, DOP, you know, et cetera. So through that study, one of the key recommendations coming out of it was to hire a nighttime economy manager and have a liaison in the building in city hall that spoke the language of the private sector mm. and would bring good ideas and r- some reality, I think, 
into decisions at the city level right because what we not just in orlando but what i think i notice about you know bureaucrats and politicians is they may or may not have ever been a entrepreneurs b even in the business world period at all Mm -hmm. c even if they had been either of those things now they have a different they wear a different hat right so the level of they're not on the ground level exactly. of understanding the, the day-to-day mm-hmm. like decisions and operations and realities that are going to make things successful and run smoothly in the nighttime world. Exactly. Or in any segment. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like whether you want to talk about sustainability or you want to talk about small business or you want to talk about tech and innovation, like you need people who are hands-on, you know, boots on the ground right. from those industries to collaborate again, my opinion with decision, quote unquote, decision makers, policy makers, because otherwise you'll end up with policy that doesn't fit the reality of the market. Yeah. The market and the community, in my opinion, is what should drive. That is the job of city officials is to adapt and to make them make, make things possible within reason. Right. Like now when you get me started talking about nighttime economy, it gets very dicey because you know, there's, there's the real things about nighttime economy that we know, right. That drunk driving or fights mm-hmm. or prostitution or Safety. drugs, whatever, yeah. or alcohol in itself. Right. These are all like very real touchy <laughs> and in like very real and potentially harmful Dangerous. sometimes mm-hmm. things. Right. However, Alcohol is legal. Bars and nightlifes are, of course, legal. And these things are well uh, supported by you and I and others. The community, community, right? Like people want these things. So we can't not have them. But so anyways, the city did this study and they wanted to know how can we better manage our nighttime economy Mm -hmm. downtown. And then Pulse happened at the very end of this Mm -hmm. study, actually, like during it. So that, you know, like that obviously... I would say just made all of this even more important, even more serious. And um, the city decided to implement one of a few of the key suggestions from this, from this study. And one of which chose to hire a nighttime economy manager. So the job opened in 2017 and I'm, I'm on the phone with Jeff Gito and he's out in Oregon opening up this cannabis farm, this up, this grow, which I'll tell you about a little more if you want to know. And, um, we're on a call like we would be, you know, once a week and we're catching up on this, that and the other. And at the end of the call, he says, uh, so I need to uh, run something by you, but I kind of already said yes. So I'm just mostly t- filling you in. And I was kind of like, what did you do? Because as my boss, you know, he's always like doing great things and uh, promising time and thing, time and effort and support for other organizations. And, but then he would be out of town a lot cause he's opening this other business. So then it would be like, uh-huh. it would be then something for me fall to do. On your shoulders. Yeah. Okay. Which, and I'm teasing when I say like, what did you do? Like I was just, I just remember giving him that sass, you know, on the other end of the line. And he was like, well, you know, I've been involved with this, um, hospitality zone assessment, which is the study that city mm-hmm. was doing as a stakeholder, as a key stakeholder, because he was a, owned a lot sure. of businesses. And he's like, it's coming to a wrap and they are, the city is going to be hiring a nightmare. And I was like, what the hell is a nightmare? And he's like, and I put your name in the hat. And I was oh. like, 
Okay. Whoa. I was like, well, I don't know what you're even talking about, but thank you. It sounds like a big compliment. So I love you and I appreciate it. Whatever. Cool. And then life went on because the city moved slow and I didn't really even, if I'm being very honest, like. Did you apply for it? It wasn't even open yet. Oh. It wasn't even open yet. So my unofficial name was in the hat, you know, just as a person in our community that could fit this role. Right. Then a few months later, a few months go by and I, um, did apply. And it was like, I think I applied like on my birthday. So this is in March of 2017. And they had hundreds of applicants because it was like, you know, cool job alert. And I remember mm-hmm. the bungalow was like following it. And I know that there was hundreds and hundreds of applicants. And I ha- did not have my hopes up. I don't know if I was being insecure, or if I just really it didn't click yet or anything, but I definitely did apply. And I kind of just Love left you. it up to the gods. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's March. So then nothing happens for months. So I totally, I'm, I'm not even thinking about it right now. It's like June mm-hmm. and I get an interview and I had one interview and they had been interviewing people for apparently weeks, you know, second, third interviews. And in that interview, my, uh, Thomas Chapman, who mm-hmm. many of your listeners probably know, asked me to come to an event next week. And that was with the responsible hospitality Institute, who was our consultant that was closing up this project. So they were going to do like a session, you know, like a wrap regional up. wrap up. And there was probably like a hundred people there. So I went and Jeff went with me. And while Thomas is doing his opening remarks, he says, you know, thank you to RHI for all the hard work and this, that, and the other executive summary. And, oh, we're the city of Orlando has made the decision to hire a nighttime economy manager. And she's here in this room. Whoa. And I was just like, um, I just got chills. <laughs> I had no idea what we were like, what was happening. Sure. Um, but I remember feeling just in, immediately thankful, appreciative, like so grateful to feel like that respected and, you know, validated in the work and passion that I really do have for this community and this industry that I probably hadn't even realized at that time. I was like 27 Mm -hmm. and, and it was amazing. So I took the job and that's the story. That was a long story. Sorry. That's a great story. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But that put you in a position to be, have, you're again, fingers and a lot of things and then you not toes. Um, but then you had this role of kind of being able to bring cohesion, hopefully to like the hot mess that is downtown sometimes. And so kind of what did that role look like and afford you? And like, what are some things that you're proud of like within that time? Yeah. I, so the job itself was very, it was first of its kind in Orlando, but it was also pretty first of its kind in our country. Mm -hmm. So I definitely knew that taking that job, that there was not like a clear job description or like, here's what you're going to be do every day. You're not filling a role that somebody else vacated. Exactly. Sure. And I mean, yeah, many times along the way I stopped and asked like, Oh, is this, is this the mission? Is this the goal? And to be honest, like it was a, it was a learned effort, right? Like we were all Thomas and I, and even, and city, the city of Orlando were definitely on a, let's see as we go type of approach. Sure. And that was good to have that flexibility, but also it was good, but also like made things a little messy sometimes because it wasn't clear, like to what extent this position had authority mm-hmm. versus what, you know, a lot of 
what became my job was to form collab collaborative partnerships, whether internal or external, which is what I consider myself now, like a strategic partnership Mm -hmm. type of person. Um, and so it wasn't so much doing a job like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to take this and put it here. You're going to, it was advising. It was being a liaison. And when my friends would ask me, so what the hell are you doing? I'd be like, I translate. I basically translate from the industry, like the real industry over to this other language, this other the city, the city uh-huh. who wants to understand and needs to understand, mm-hmm. but it's not always the best communication platform to just hear from sometimes disgruntled entrepreneurs or operators because they get very frustrated with the red tape and the, and the pace of which government moves because as entrepreneurs, we want to move as fast as possible. Sure. When you're in government, it's almost a strategy to move slower sometimes because you need to do due diligence, do due diligence and do research and compare and then bring it over here and ask over here and then get this feedback and start over and blah, blah, blah. Cause you really want to do, you want to be as thorough as possible, but you, and again, not just in Orlando, but like that's the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So in theory, there's some good stuff in there, but in, pra- in practical sense, like, you know, it's exhausting. People have businesses to run. They mm-hmm. need to, be moving they need to have and the, every day that the resources and the is a loss yeah but when you work in government every day that you can't that's doesn't there's matter. no loss mm. right well there is because you're losing your business paying dollars potentially right. and that really is those two th- that's exactly equated like it sounds dramatic to say it that way but that's the exact reality right so you tried to help keep things moving as fast and hopefully as um in making both sides kind of happy in that way yeah i wanted i wanted to or eventually what it became was like to create access right so ways for actual functioning ways for the entrepreneurs the business owners to participate and be quote unquote you know part of the conversation so Mm -hmm. that rules were not being made that were just forced onto them, but they were actually giving insight on the front end. So I did that again through like collab collaboration, right. Um, mm-hmm. having a nighttime economy committee, which was half stakeholders and half city staff, bringing them together on a regular, on a regular basis. Um, I collaborated really a lot with OPD, which is something I'm really proud of, you know, just mm-hmm. to be accepted into that like culture, which is very unique and very specific, right? Like mm-hmm. police and, um, Cause they have, they have a job and that is to protect the public and they do that at, that's what they do. Right. So then you, then you're in city hall and you're like, Oh, but we have to do this paperwork. We have to have these conversations. We have to like talk about it. And that isn't always so easy to do with these mm-hmm. types of personalities, you know, super alpha per all. Oh my, that is really my job. Jana is like man, being, being with alpha personalities and somehow you can bring your twin masculine auras i do yeah i I bring them with me a lot Mm -hmm. lay down the law yeah with the law yeah yeah (laughs) i miss opd um being just getting to work with them and having such a much more deeper appreciation for what our police do and what the police do Mm -hmm. and of course you know there's there's always the good good characters and then there's like some who kind of Bring it down, right? Um, sure. But that's all of us. Yeah. 
Um, so from there, you worked at that job until last year? This year? I was with the city last year. since 2017. Right. And then I left a, just about a year ago. Okay. Maybe a year next month. Right. And then what did that transition you into? And what are you currently doing now? Yeah. So, you know, coming out of COVID, um, it was just a are we really out of it difficult yet? time. What? Are we out of it yet? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm ready to be totally out of it. Question mark. Yeah. Uh, But the, I don't know what I was saying. Coming out of COVID. Coming out of COVID. You were transitioning out of your nighttime mayor job. Yes. And transitioning out of that job was a big choice, right? And I felt like, and I felt a little, I felt a lot of things. And, but ultimately for me, with as an entrepreneur, I think at heart, right? I needed. I'm. I'm happier, if you will, being on this side, right, mm-hmm. where I am working for myself and I can do things on my timetable mm-hmm. and do do what I feel is right. Because again, bureaucracy, right? So there was things that I definitely wanted to do and felt like I should have been able to, mm. or what have you. But because of process and policy and rules and politics, you know, those things, some of them would get kind of canned, right? And I don't like anyone canning anything that I want to do. <laughs> so I left and I knew that, again, I, I don't remember having like a ton of fear about it, which is good because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Or maybe I did have a bunch of fear and this was me like letting some of that go and just being like, I will be successful because I am an ethical, like loving person who leads with that Mm. and like good things always find me and same will happen with money and with career and already has. So Mm -hmm. I I just need to, I'm allowed to switch it up. Right. And like Jim also I'm quoting so much Jim and Beth today Mm -hmm. um, in, in your podcast a couple weeks ago with Jim, you know, he said, and I'm the same, we want to do different things. Like Mm -hmm. I want to, I I'll probably do different things for the rest of my life, you know, and I like having that ability to pivot and start something new and maybe new, 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 right. I like the new. So at, so at the time when I was leaving, I of course needed to work. And so I opened a consultancy business, collective strategies, and I started taking clients in Orlando mostly, but I also took one big client out in Southern Oregon who I mentioned earlier via um, my mentor and and my mentor and <laughs> quote boss mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Gito, and he has him and his partners have a big cannabis grow out in Southern Oregon that was really scaling kind of on its own with not a whole lot of staff or the right staff or what have you to hit the pause button or try to like say okay. If we're going to be scaling at this rate, we need this HR strategy. We need this type of communications and marketing, like someone to kind of go in and get them organized. Mm. So, so lucky for me that I got to do that for about seven months from March till September, October of just this past year. Mm -hmm. And I was commuting back and forth from Orlando to Medford, Oregon 
which is a very long flight and it's not a direct flight. And it's Oof. so I, I, I made I platinum status it. on yes. Delta, which was one good benefit. And the other great benefit or two more great <clears throat> benefits was that both my little brothers worked out there. So I got to spend so much time with them who mm-hmm. I'm used to spending so much time with, but then they grew up and they moved to Oregon and, you know, and all of a sudden we were, maybe going to be that family that saw each other once or twice a year. And I don't think I could have actually handled that to be honest. So fair enough. <laughs> so it really was like such a blessing that I got to go out there so often. I even stayed with my brothers for the first, you know, month or so. And then, um, and then I had a place so I would go back and forth and I think that I helped out the farm, um, in a big way and I was able to make some money and I had clients on this side as well who were, needed help with closing permits or going through a change of use with their municipalities um, and opening, you know, second, third, fourth venue. So are a lot of all Orlando entrepreneurs, you know, I won't name them, but you know them all. And um, then as this is all happening, I am also building behind the scenes, the Orlando Hospitality Alliance, which Mm -hmm. I started dedicating my full-time efforts to in September. Mm -hmm. And then we launched in January. Very recently. Very recently. Yes. Six weeks. Six weeks. Um, I, so full disclosure, I'm, I have signed up to be a part of this. Yes. I would love to know the full scope. I'm still interested to learn more myself, but what, what is the full scope and who is it open to if people are listening, if they would fit the, yeah. fit the bill. So you fit the bill as a member. If you are an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. that is in the eating, drinking, dining, dancing, entertainment sector, Mm -hmm. or as I like to call it local and social. Okay. So for your independent, for, for Dana, for, for lazy moon, for hawkers, for pig Floyd's, for Hanson shoe repair, for Lake Yola wine company, Mm -hmm. for et cetera. Right. So the, the thing with Orlando Hospitality Alliance is that we have a lot of representation in Central Florida for our tourism-driven side of side of the world, right? Absolutely. Hope, lodging, mm-hmm. theme parks, um, and your international drive, etc. And from where I sit, I've always noticed for a long time, this is not recent, a kind of gap in, in that representation for our local and social entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so OHA aims to improve the entrepreneur experience in central Florida mm-hmm. um, for hospitality entrepreneurs specifically. And we Great. do that in, by four, by doing four things. One of which is restoring a sense of unity and community in this particular industry, mm-hmm. independence, um, small business. I say small business, but I really mean like micro, small, mid, independently owned, not, not corporate, right? So restoring a sense of unity um, offering resources and education that are tailored to the specific needs of entrepreneurs, right. And access to things like collective bargaining agreements. Like I'll give you one quick example. Um, if you, you know, most of our restaurants, like all the ones we've listed out today, since we've been talking, Mm -hmm. they probably don't maybe offer healthcare to their staff, their staff Mm -hmm. of servers and bartenders, because it's, it's priced out, right? Yeah. But it's also priced out for a server or bartender to have access to good health care because of that reason. Because their employer can't afford it. They can't afford it to an extent. But what could uh, or association and alliance like uh, Orlando Hospitality Alliance do is put a marketplace together of, you know, certain plans and et cetera, where anyone who's a member and their and their staffs can shop through there. So we're getting like a group rate mm-hmm. instead of 
uh, individual rate. That's just one thing. And then three would be PR, 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 mm. PR, 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 just for you, local mm. and social business, because you deserve it and yeah. you need it. And you know what doesn't get told enough is the positive, good stories about all the philanthropy, mm-hmm. all the workforce development, all the offerings that entrepreneurs bring to this community. Mm-hmm. And then number four, of course, advocacy, state and local advocacy slash, you know, lobbying, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um I'm kidding. I know what it means, but uh, so, yep those those are the four pillars of the Orlando Hospitality Alliance, and yeah. we're only six weeks old officially, and we have over a hundred members. Yeah, congratulations, including dinner party projects. Yes, <laughs> and um, obviously, you know, we're in development mode, right? But in the very near future, there will be tons of services and events and fundraisers that we do to bring other programs to life um, for entrepreneurs and that a lot of that's going to be getting shared here in the, in the coming weeks and months. Um, but right now, of course, it is about identifying our founding members and people who know and believe in me and this mission mm-hmm. and can help us put the money and the uh, numbers together because mm-hmm. this is a power in numbers movement, right? Right. We're only going to be as heard and, and strong as we are, um, as our, as large as our membership base is. Right. Mm-hmm. So we extend, we technically are the, or a hospitality alliance of central Florida, but a DBA, you know, as Orlando hospitality alliance, it's just a little packs more punch Orlando from brand perspective, I think. Right. And so, but yes, this is for park Ave. This is for winter Springs. This is for winter garden. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for downtown. This is for mills 50. This is for Ivanhoe. Mm. all of our entertainment areas because that's really where you see obviously concentration of independent local and social businesses yes absolutely yeah i think it's something that's incredibly needed because i think that i mean orlando like we just had talked about earlier was just at the level i think of um bigger cities and their offerings i think that maybe we don't have quite as many but we it's insane in the fact of like I think Orlando is still is pigeonholed oftentimes as still being the attractions, which mm-hmm. I understand that that is like a, a huge aspect of central Florida for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, we have so much benefit from having that in our, in our city, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is beautiful. But I think on also on this side of town, there is just so much going on and so much beauty and so much like excellent, like we were talking about Domu and, and sunroom and guest room, uh, guest house. And just the, I think that like you had mentioned kind of like the PR side of things to show even we have something like, I don't know, 75 or 80 million people that come through our doors mm-hmm. in, in Orlando. Um, and for those people, kind of both those people to utilize not only what's on iDrive, but also venturing out into this other side of town, which is just so full of beautiful experiences mm-hmm. and beautiful offerings, like we said, and drinks at Hanson's on the rooftop. I mean, um, being able to preach that story a little bit more yeah. um, and to let people know in the greater scheme, like, I mean, we've had some, some good PR with, you know, um, some people writing up about kind of like this side of, um, Orlando, but I feel like we need even more yeah. of that and to tell that story. And, and the more that we can kind of show off what we're doing here, exactly. the more that benefits people that are doing the hard work to, to, to create really, 
Um, like you don't go to a city for their big box offerings. You don't go to be like, I want to eat an Olive Garden in Indianapolis, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to go to Austin and go to Target there, right? The, I mean, I go for the culture, right? Or at least that's what I'm looking for when I go somewhere new. Yeah. Yeah. But and kind of telling that. that story, we have that. But it's not necessarily the headlines, mm-hmm. right? So you know, OHA will create reasons for us to make headlines. If you Mm -hmm. you really, that's an an expression I'm using, but, um, but really it is to incentivize. We, you know, we claim to be very small business friendly here in central Florida. And I want to just make as much sure as I possibly can that we deliver on that brand that we are. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, it is going to take, you know, some streamlining and some, recognition and some validation for this industry who I find and working closely with a lot of them all day, every day that they don't really feel that sense of support support. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and as like a insider, I, I know that there is reasons they should, but it's maybe, but it's hard to like convince them of that. If they don't see it, they need to Mm -hmm. see it. I can't just tell them about it. They have to actually experience it. Right. So talking about it and it actually being real are two different things. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the years of work that you put into supporting the Orlando scene and all the things that you do here and hopefully helping us to move us forward into, um, more exposure. And like you said, kind of like knowing and seeing the need for the support of small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and businesses here is like, Bring it on, sister. Yes. Oh, yeah. We love it. Lots to do. Lots to do. I need need a staff Mm. already. Mm -hmm. That's on. uh, Maybe you offer them some gin drinks at 10 a.m. in the morning and like, who knows? Yeah. Like what's going to. That that will help for sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So as we move on, um, one of my favorite things to talk about, we could be here another hour, but is the Enneagram. Um, and I think it's the Enneagram is, um, incredibly important because I think one of the most important things is kind of Mm self-awareness in that way. Like, how do you kind of like, you kind of said like, I'm, um, I'm bringing some masculine energy into a room or into a space and kind of knowing yourself in the ways that hopefully that we are our strengths and then also knowing sometimes the harder part is knowing our blind spots, mm-hmm. um, in that way. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know yeah. until we know it. And yeah. the Enneagram for me had, has been like a huge eye opener and blessing in that way to be able to like take a, a look with reality yeah, and to see how I can, uh, operate in a room and how maybe people will interpret me and how I can interpret other people and knowing myself better, allowing more grace for myself. And then that also interprets to grace for other people. That's my favorite word. Honestly, favorite word is grace. It's a tough one. It is. I I don't even think it was in my vocabulary for most of my life. And then I think I like really remember like kind of having to learn it and it's changed Mm. my life like in a huge way especially grace for myself mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But yeah. So digging into the Enneagram a little bit, you feel like you would um, identify as what, which number? A two wing three, a two wing three, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The helper. So it seems like, I mean, it just feels like very in alignment with even what you're doing currently, which is just yep. supporting people. Yeah. And like, we would be, I preach all the time. Like we would be, 
nowhere without twos. Oh, you, you do. You preach it all the time. Yeah. Oh, well, I just talked about this. Like, I think two you days have to meet ago, my friend Taylor Lunin, who's a two wing one, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But she is my Enneagram friend, right? Like we could just talk about it all day. Yeah. Um, she's Same. pretty expert and you'll find her really interesting on the topic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think, um, all signs point me to two wing three and, and I love psychology just in just period. Right. So Myers-Briggs, you know, human mm-hmm. design, Zodiac, like Enneagram. I think that there's obviously been bright minds over hundreds, if not thousands of years studying one of those things. And now we have the benefit of having the books and the podcasts and the Instagram accounts of like right. interpreting some of that, which makes it digestible mm. for someone like me, who's very ADHD, has to learn things in like little spurts of, of time and space. Um but all those, including the Enneagram, have always like said to me, public service, helper, peacemaker, like connector. Mm. And sometimes I would kind of like, like from a career finder standpoint, you know, you like when I worked for the city or even when I was in college, you know, you do like some of these assessments, mm-hmm. right? When you get into like, like your HR. Finders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And always, it always said things like public service and nonprofit. And I really for whatever reason thought, Oh, it's probably, it's just, it's getting me wrong. Like Mm. that isn't. And now that's even crazy to think because it's, it's like, I really did know it all along, but I think I, I think that I had just a bad taste in my mouth with nonprofit and knowing, seeing how messy it was firsthand and thinking, okay, I wanted like a little more stability, but, but then I learned that what I actually really want is freedom and connection. And that's something that I need. Right. And I've had to work through that because I'm also like really independent and I like to know that I can take care of things on my own, mm-hmm. which I can, but we also need other but, people, but I definitely need other people. Yeah. And I, look for it. I appreciate it. I try really hard to take care of relationships really well. Um, and I'm, and I'm really blessed to like have a big network of not only like friends and family, but even like that extended network too. Mm-hmm. And so, but then, you know, now you're back to grace because obviously I can't deliver all the time. So like I end up dropping We're the ball. Like human. And, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, missing missing things and etc and then then I'm mad at myself because I'm not watering these relationships or I'm not taking care of something the right way but then it's like okay well what about you you need to take care of you mm-hmm. or else none of that even matters anyways so the enneagram has helped me a lot with grace and mm. like accepting because I'm find myself so willing to accept other people and their shortcomings and their their nuances and Mm -hmm. I and I find I even go to lengths to like find these things endearing which is almost like coddling so you have to be careful there too sure but with myself it was it was never that way it was like really harsh and like really aggressive towards towards me so I've had to like never cut yourself any slack which you could which you could to other people but Mm -hmm. to yourself you hold yourself to this like impossible standard and you're like I would never talk to my friends this way 
but you would talk to yourself in that manner. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, I think I know that I've taken some really steps forward in that way, mm-hmm. but yes, it's a, it's a conscious work, like learned effort and mm-hmm. I still fuck it up. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. It's very interesting because in the Enneagram, um, sometimes they say the one that you don't want to be is the is um, sometimes the one that you are. Um, I took the test early on when I didn't know much about it, and I tested as a seven. And I was like, the seven is the enthusiast. And so I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I can, I can kind of see some of that. But I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know. That it really, like, totally is encapsulating of like who I am or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine who was a therapist, he was like, Oh no, you're definitely an eight. And I was like, mm, I don't want to be an eight. <laughs> and he's like, well, you're an eight. And so I read the eight and I was like, Oh my gosh, did they write this about me? Do they know me? Was I in the room? I mean, it dialed me in so close that I was a little freaked out because I was like, okay. But then I also had to look at the eight because there were some things in there that I did not want to be mm-hmm. or want to identify myself mm-hmm. with. And so that self-awareness of saying we have to have our eyes open and we have to look at, we're not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. We're never like the one is the perfectionist. And so obviously I'm not even that, but n- no human is going to be, is going to be, um, no, and fully. I, no. And who wants, we don't really want that. Anyways. Yeah. We don't we really, really want don't. that, but in our heads we do. <laughs> yeah. But it's harder to look at the things that are not as easy to take a look at, but that reality to say, hey, let's, let's be aware of ourselves and let's look at those things and let's move forward and like grow. And if we don't ever look at the things and we, if we're just avoiding pain at all costs, we're never, ever going to grow. Yeah, that's another thing, right? Like feeling your way through it. That's like a lesson because mm-hmm. I am like an avoider um, mm-hmm. with things that are like really hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I would rather sometimes just not than to feel my way through it. So that's. Yeah. But yeah, I know with Enneagram, you know, they say like if you're an eight, then sometimes in moments of pain or trauma that you'll react as like. What's the like there's an opposite of eight like yeah. on the circle. Um, so in, in unhealth, uh, yeah. an eight goes to a five yeah. and they isolate and they don't want to be seen or heard or known or anything like that. Yeah. So in unhealth, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And for a two, I think actually twos in unhealth go to eight. So the challenger, and so they can yeah. be abrasive and push back, but in health, they go to a four, which is like the... The, the artists, the creativeness, right? Yeah. They're, they're coming up with the creative solutions. They're coming up with like out of the box things. So it kind of like gives us this, I don't know, like framework to say like, oh, like if I know that I'm like isolating or if I don't want to be seen, I, it gives me those like. You start to notice like. Right. It gives you like triggers to notice so that at least now your reaction to things is like a little bit more in your control. Mm-hmm. Cause so what I like learned from reading like atomic habits and, and have you read the road back to you? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I read that before I ever took any of the quizzes. Okay. And I think that was like a good choice. Um, because I don't know. Cause then I got to kind of, I don't of, think the test is always a hundred percent. Like I saying. tell people they can take the test or not, I tell but people reading, to read the book. 
reading the book, listening to podcasts, also like kind of like with me, it was like interacting with people that knew me. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't know how I show up in the world. I think that I do. True. But other people are the only people to tell you, this is how I see you in the world. This is how you interact, how you show up. And so I think the test is one thing, but it's really this holistic to land on your actual number. Um, and from there, once you really, I think really dial in on your actual number, you can grow like from there, but reading the book was so smart to do first, but you really do feel like the two is where you land. Yeah. 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 And then taking the test that it kind of like gave confirmed this, that confirmed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was like smart to read the book first. I just happened to read the book first. It was actually, I think my friend Taylor, who I mentioned, um, told me about it and, and I was never like notoriously a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as a, ADHD <laughs> specimen um, reading has never been like a super strong suit of mine. Mm-hmm. And, but now since like audible and now I read all the time and it's like kind of one of the best things that, that also ever happened to me. And I think that that book was like one of the first books mm-hmm. I like read through mm-hmm. and I couldn't I not love read it. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Now, now if we're being honest, like, you know, if you look, pull up my audible, it's like, 11 you know halfway finished books because i like to like bounce around you know okay. depending on the mood you don't i don't always want to read psychology right I sure want to sometimes Some read Harry novel. Potter. yeah right and when i say read i mean listen to i know <laughs> i love the harry potter guy that reads the books to you like in audible he yes like the, i don't know who he is or where he is but i love him mm. <laughs> i heard there was like two different versions like an american version and like an, a uk version or something like that. i don't want the american version right i want only this man. Fair enough. Yeah. He's like, I just picture him <laughs> like a grandpa British and he does all the voices. All the voices. What a job. What a job. That would be a fun job. That would be a fun job. I want to have a podcast too. I Let's really do it, do. girl. Yeah. Yeah. I can I give you. It's in the future. All the things. Oh, what I, what little I know about it, I can tell you. Um, so my, my last topic is my favorite actually of all of them. And so for me, it's like what I really want to preach, which is rest. And so rest is kind of this moment, these moments of stepping back from the world and how do we play, discover, physically rest. Um, the word Sabbath means to stop working. And so when we take ourselves back um, to rejuvenate, I think creativity can't live in stressed out world. Yeah. And so I don't think Americans do or talk about it enough, but, you know, physical rest obviously has incredible health benefits and mental benefits and everything benefits. Um, But what are some of the practices that you kind of adopt and what does that look like, like rest and, and recharge in your world? Oh, it is not a strong suit of mine. I am a, I have the words go, go, go tattooed on me. Say my marriage ended because, in part, because mm. of that mentality, which is fine with me because it wasn't. It's not something I'm willing was willing to give up or change. It's a part of who I am. But as someone who does go 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 all the time, I actually need rest in a big way. Yeah, and I don't. I've gotten better. Um, so okay, let me answer your question. I journal, which is really therapeutic for me, and I try to do that in little spurts. I'm very much like do things in little spurts. I'm not, I'm not like the most consistent routine creature, not that I'm just not right. So, um, rest is, I have to 
planted in, you know, throughout the day. It doesn't mm-hmm. always come in like big spurts. Um, but, you know, baths and journaling mm-hmm. and cooking at home. And I always have, I always have music on literally 24-7 um, or even podcasts or books, audiobooks. So I think when I find myself like with time to be listening to a podcast or a book, then that is like letting me learn. And that's where I find myself being creative. I also find myself with my most creative ideas, like in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. which is not ideal really, because mm-hmm. you're just like so physically tired, but my brain is still like coming up with plans. And then it's like, Oh, well, I don't want my phone near my bed because of all the reasons that you're really, your phone should really not be near your bed. Right. So now I have like journals everywhere. So I'm always like writing things down to be able to come back. But that's to the moment when your brain has to rest, right? Everything yeah, from so the day see, I'm, not, is... I'm not even answering the rest question. <laughs> Maybe I don't know how. No, I mean, I think that that makes sense because like for me also, like at the end of the, sometimes when like things are done for the day, that's when your brain can be creative. Yeah. Right. In the middle of the day when you're like, I, I have to do time like that. I need to do these emails. I have this meeting. I have to, I have to go, go, go. But your brain is, can't like just be like, in a state of relaxed and then like people in the shower get ideas, right? Yep. Or people like when you're like trying to go to bed, you get ideas or when you're on vacation, you're like, Oh, okay. I could start this Alliance or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are the times when your, your brain gets to be allowed, I think also to, to have freedom to express itself. Yeah. So I think that you, I, I find myself having to be really intentional about rest. Like I have to tell myself, okay, next Sunday, you're doing nothing. Yeah. Or intentionally not planning anything. Yes. It's an intentional effort. And for me, it is, I, you know, it's, I am not talking shit about my cell phone, but I, I have to put it away. I have mm-hmm. to put it out of sight. I have, cause it's extremely it's going off, right? Like it's always, yeah. always something. <sighs> and like, so then to put it down gives me this like little bit of guilt mm-hmm. or something but Mm-mm. forcing yourself to do it. And then, you know, after 20 minutes of doing it, then you, or maybe a little longer then you are, then I'm like free. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's about, okay, well, how much time am I dedicating to rest right now? And, you know, quote doing, not doing nothing, but just not having check checklists to do mm-hmm. and not having like emails to respond to right this second. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I love to travel and that's really my biggest outlet, mm. but I, I do believe that this year is not a big travel year for me. Last year really was not only with Oregon, but I had some great trips tucked in there. Um, and then of course the year before with COVID that was no travel. So I'm kind of on every other year, you know, travel bug sure. right now. Fair enough. If you it. had like 24 hours, your ideal day of rest, it could be here. It could be anywhere in the world. Budget of, is of no consequence. Like if you could just have 24 hours, you can be by yourself with people to do anything. What would 24 hours look like for Dom? I mean, there's a million places that I want to go that I've never been, but I I'll say I get a ton of pleasure and just rest and rejuvenation from visiting the standard in Miami beach. Okay. And oh my God, if, I mean, everybody that knows me, I talk about this place. Like I'm like a groupie, like a huge fan of this place. Okay. So it's the standard in Miami. It's like one 
it's not on South Beach. It's like one private island off. Like when you go over those bridges. And oh, like okay. Those one little, private island. Yeah, okay, like, girl. Private, but it's like teeny tiny little island called Venetian Isle, right? And there's like five condo buildings, five mansions, and like this old school Florida hotel that's been there for like 50 years. And it's a spa. So it's not a retreat, but it kind of feels like a retreat. Sure. But it's like laid out like a motel. So like it's old school uh, Florida, yeah. like the rooms are exterior and every room pretty much has like a bathtub on the veranda and like and yeah it, it is like it's luxe but it's like not pretentious like it's very small mm-hmm. it's expensive but it's not it's like people have their tops off people smoke joints by the pool the the bay is right there you can just jump into the bay in the morning you do yoga with like five people in the grass like there it's a jungle so it's just mm-hmm. like lush green okay beautiful and the pool is open 24 hours there's one bar and one restaurant and it's like vegetables and drinks frosé <laughs> and like good cocktails like you know right. b- beachy type of cocktails and i just when i go there i don't i don't want to go anywhere else i don't even want to mm. go out to eat i don't want to go to definitely don't want to go to south beach sorry to say right now but um but i uh, I would though for the right occasion, I'll go to the broken shaker, but, um, but to just be there and you're, you realize like you're amongst a lot of, or I realize when I've been there the couple times that I have that I'm amongst like a lot of people who I think I have a lot of similarities to, like they work a lot. They're like laptops are there like on like Wednesday, Thursday, but then like Friday comes and it's like, okay, put the fucking laptops away. Like now we're just going to really relax Mm -hmm. and meditate and do yoga and just lay around and go in the pool and it is just it's heaven okay literal heaven yeah highly recommend that sounds like a lovely 24 hours there i got really spoiled during covid because the spa was closed so their prices were like less than half oh and that's like when i went but now it is like back up it's priced out bumping (laughs) you can actually my goal is like you can become a member because there's standards all over the world okay and they have like you know it's like it's like fancy in the membership way. So that's a dream. That's a dream. That's a dream. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Um, Where would people find you on the internet to find out what you're doing and up to and follow along? OrlandoHospitalityAlliance.org. Okay. For sure. And Orlando Hospitality Alliance on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, what Mm -hmm. have you. And that is where all my time, most of my time and effort is going to be and will continue to be. And it's a, it's a love labor of love and so much ideas and so much, so much to deliver on. And I'm looking forward to doing all of that. So stay, stay tuned and thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know. I loved hearing your story. Thank you. (laughs) So amazing. All right. Until the next time. Yeah. Yes. Thank you a million times over for listening to cocktails and conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more cocktails and conversations? 